Hey there, before we get started, we want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in to the Kuhau Podcast. We hope it encourages you and draws you closer to Jesus as you listen. Let's get excited for this message and let's get ready to hear from God. Genesis 22, that's right, we are opening with an Old Testament scripture. It says, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time. So we're picking up just after. It's a famous story. Abraham is told to sacrifice his son Isaac. He does it. And if you're new here, what I mean is like he's about to do it. And then God's like, wait, 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 wait. And then he provides a lamb. But in response to his faithfulness, this is where we see God's conversation with Abraham. It says, I make a vow by my own name. The Lord is speaking that I will richly bless you because you did this and did not keep back your only son from me. I promise that I will give you as many descendants as there are stars in the sky of grains of sand along the seashore. Your descendants, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna change this word so it can highlight what I, what I wanna talk about today. Your family will conquer their enemies. All the nations will ask me to bless them as I have blessed your family. All because you obeyed my command. Abraham went back to his servants and they went together to Beersheba where Abraham settled. Let's pray. Now we can pray. Jesus, I I thank you. I love you. And I just ask that you will, one, encounter someone who does not yet know you today. And that, that you know what you want to do, Jesus. And I just ask that their hearts may be open for what you're going to do today. In your name, we say amen and amen. The title of today, well, well, hold up, Bishop, hold up. We've said that the church is the bride of Christ. And last week we said that the church is, let's see who was paying attention, the church is kingdom. You guys all get A's. Some of you guys were silent. You get like you know, participation points. Uh, the church is kingdom. Today, I am unpacking this, this concept, this principle that the church is family. The church is family. So I want to, I want to play an association game with you. I'll give you, I'll give you two toss out words. I'm going to, I want you to tell me what, as like a, as a definition, word associations can be a little bit different, but so let's say, for example, I said exercise. You would say something like exhausted, right? Um, so I'm going to give you two. I'm going to give you two. You're going to tell me what, what the first definition that comes to mind. Food. Yum, good. I thought someone would say life. Uh, let's see. Ooh, let's do this. Let's do this. Um, love. God, husband, my boo. Okay, okay, okay. All right, all right. I want to get as many people as I can with this. Can you all say this? Family. Church, kuhau, I heard a bunch. How, how about dysfunctional? I think family can be dysfunctional. And at this point, honestly, I think it's more normal that family is dysfunctional than it is functional. And here we see... Abraham's family being chosen 
And, and what I know, and if you know that you've read, if you've read the Old Testament, you know that Abraham's family is perhaps the most dysfunctional family on earth. I'm going to talk about how dysfunctional they are. I'm going to go, Abraham's family is so dysfunctional. You're going to go, how dysfunctional are they? Yet here we have, and this is essentially like the beginning of the, the story of the Hebrew Bible. If, if you're watching a movie, everything from the garden up to this point is like the, the context. It's, the, it's the, the, the history, and then boom, it jumps to Abraham. What has been happening is humanity has been devolving and devolving and devolving until finally all of humanity is scattered. Polygamy begins to rise up until the point before God calls Abraham. Everybody worships God, and now they're worshiping other gods, and then God calls Abraham and says that through Abraham's family, he will bless the world. And if you know the end of the story, you know that it's through Abraham's family that Jesus comes, saves the world, fulfilling a promise that goes all the way back to Genesis, when God, uh, the beginning of Genesis, when God is talking to Adam and Eve, the family of Adam and Eve, and says that through your offspring, your family, the head of the serpent will be crushed. And the potential of family is this. What we see is that God is promising Abraham's family to bless the world. And I, I believe that God desires to work through families. And I believe that the church is family because of this very desire. All throughout the Old Testament, you see that God is picking and choosing and working through families. And it makes me excited to see this, that God desires to work through families, and the church is family, and our church is made up of so many families. Like we got the Murray family, I guess nobody, you guys like the Murrays? We, of course, got the Remedios family that is also connected. Where's Marlon? To the Quillen family. We have the Baez family that rose deep, but that's also connected to the Blast family. And then we have uh, the Cayuch and Miranda family, which is just one big extended family. We have the Cruz family. We have the Torado family. We have so many families here at Kuhau. And I love that because I truly believe that God's desires to work through families. And it's no wonder that the church is family. From Abraham's family to the church, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, God is not just selecting random people. The nation of Israel, who God governs over throughout the history of the Old Testament, is made up of 12 tribes. These 12 tribes are named after 12 sons of a man named Israel. And so this nation is really a family. And then Jesus comes. There's so many genealogies in the Bible. And then they show that Jesus is a part of this family. But then Jesus dies and resurrects. And now you have people accepting Jesus, but they're not family. Well, Paul would disagree because in Ephesians 2.19, he says, So then you Gentiles are not foreigners or strangers any longer. You are now citizens together with God's people and members of the family of God. 
So what's the potential? The potential of, of the church being family is that God desires to work in and through families. What's he doing? Well, he tells Abraham, I'm going to bless the world. That's awesome, right? Like God's going to bless the world through your family, not just your church family, but through families. That's awesome. Okay, here's the problem. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I think there's a problem with this. I'm going to, God, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. There's, there's a problem. Problem with family doesn't even start with Abraham. We could go all the way back to these guys. I don't know if you guys heard of these guys. You guys ever heard of Cain and Abel? Genesis 4, 6 through 8. Then Abel, Abel brought the first lamb born to one of his sheep, killed it, and gave the best parts of it as an offering. The Lord was pleased with Abel and his offering, but he rejected Cain and his offering. Cain became furious, and he scowled in anger. Who's his anger directed towards? His brother. Anyone been angry with their brothers? I have. <clears throat> Don't make eye contact with Roth. Don't make eye Sorry. Then the Lord said to Cain, this is what I want us to listen closely to. Why are you angry? Why that scowl on your face? If you had done what is right, if you had done the right thing, you would be smiling. But because you have done evil, sin is crouching at your door. But because you have done evil, sin is crouching at your door. It wants to rule you, but you must overcome it. Then Cain said to his brother, Abel, let's go out in the fields. When they were out in the fields, Cain turned on his brother and killed him. And so Cain is the first person to misinterpret the words of God. Pretty sure he said, overcome it. He heard, overcome Abel. Got you. I'm going to do this. But it, like, Cain murders his brother. And it doesn't stop at Cain and Abel. I, I think that, if anything, we can say this kicks off the, the construct of conflict throughout siblings in Scripture. Like, from the very start, this Bible is filled with strife and dysfunction that pervades families. God is actively working through these families, yet what always comes up at the heart of these families is conflict and turmoil. Noah gets drunk. His son walks in on him naked and goes to get his brothers. Like, thank God World Star didn't exist at this time. Abraham and Lot have to separate because there's so much fighting with, with their, their family members and their servants that are there with him. Isaac is estranged to his brother Ishmael because Ishmael is illegitimate. And God even says that the descendants of Ishmael and Isaac will be at war for ages. Jacob betrays his brother Esau, steals his birthright, and Esau desires to kill him. So Jacob has to run Joseph is betrayed by his brothers and sold into slavery. Forgot to mention that Noah, as punishment for what his son did, curses him, says that his grandson will be slaves to, to their uncles, essentially. The, the Bible got drama. You thought that novelas were bad. David... David, when, when encountering Goliath, before he encounters Goliath, his own brother is sarcastic and ridicules him to where David got to snub him and ask someone else for what's going down. 
Later in David's life, David gets into a civil war with his own son that ends in the death of his son. The, the Bible is filled, in spite of the potential of God wanting to bless the world, there is this stumbling block of conflict and strife and drama. Like, yo, there is this chick named Tamar who becomes a widow, and in this culture puts her in jeopardy because she doesn't have a son, so therefore that, that puts her in a place where she's not going to have provision. And, and her father-in-law tells her eventually, after like a bunch of other stuff that I don't got time to get into, says, hey, listen, go, I'll, I'll send for you when the time is right, and we'll, we'll fix this. And he doesn't. So Tamar hatches this shady plan to, to masquerade as a prostitute and find Judah, and Judah sleeps with her. And sure enough, she gets pregnant, but when he sleeps with her, she's like, how do I know you're going to pay me? And so what I'll do is I'll leave you my ring and my staff. And then Judah eventually finds out that Tamar is pregnant. He doesn't know that she's the prostitute. And Judah says, well, we're going to burn and kill her. This is in the Bible. The Bible is worse than Game of Thrones. So Tamar is there, about to be burned, and goes, wait, I know who the father is. And then Maury comes out with the ring and the staff and says, Judah, you are the father. These people were shady. And I tell God, like, Lord, there's a kink in your system because these people continue having strife and conflict but it's the same family that the Lord brings Jesus out of and the church is constructed out of. And so it's so fitting that the Bible isn't just a story about a church or church family. We all say that, right? Like, oh, I don't got my blood family, but I got my church family. And, you know, but it's a, it's a God that works amongst flesh and blood family. As well, and I think it's no wonder that there is a connection between conflict and dysfunction in our homes and conflict and dysfunction in the church. Like, isn't it interesting that the same emotional abuse that will take place from your father at home can be the same emotional abuse that a, a father or a spiritual father will do in the church? Isn't it crazy that sexual ab abuse pervades families, but it also exists in the church? And I was going to say at least... Physical abuse is only in families. But then I saw this video of a church where people were on the altar getting whipped. There's so much interplay between our family of origin and church families. And so the truth of the matter is that the problem with family and viewing the church as family is that there's so much hurt and strife that occurs in both contexts. And so when you hear Paul say, hey, you're now part of the family of God. But your family of origin is where you learn to be dismissed and abused and ridiculed. That doesn't sound quite fun. When, God, when Paul says, hey, you're part of God's family, but your family is where you were taken advantage of and manipulated and, and, and told lies. And, and, or, or maybe you weren't told that you were less than, but you grew up in a family that created so much pressure for you to succeed. I'll be honest, I, I was born 12 years after my brother, so they already had the chance to mess everything up by the time I came out. 
I, one time I told my mom, hey, I'm going to hang out in this neighborhood. Her response was, Ruben, that's where I lost Lalito. I'm like, I'm not Lalito. I came out the womb like, oh, that's the one that has to go to college. Because by the time I was 10, everyone had dropped out of high school. No one had gone to college. So there was this pressure that I lived with that, well, I'm the last hope of the family. There's this pressure that we live with. And so I come into church and my church family, well, I found myself and, and Ro and I have talked and I'm thankful for the pastor that I have that has counseled me through these things, but I found myself falling into the pressure of, let's be honest, I said, Ro, you ordained me as pastor, but by the time you ordained me as pastor, three pastors had already left the church. And I felt like I can't be the one that fails you. He said, that's crazy, because I've been worried about failing you. You can cry, it's okay. <laughs> so the problem really, guys, is people. Anytime you find a group of people, you will find problems. There's people in our church, there's people in our families. But how do I see the church as a family when family is the place where I experience hurt, where all the things that I'm damaged and in therapy for is my family. And some of us have experienced trauma in the church that's supposed to be your family anyway. But the problem with that view is this. We hear family of God and we put the weight on family, but the weight rests on of God. That's the differentiator. So what's the solution we turn towards the perfecter of families? In Philippians, I'm going to give you a new definition of family. When you hear family, this is what you should think of. Paul says, look at how much encouragement you found in your relationship with the anointed one. You are filled with overflowing and overflowing with his comforting love. You have experienced a deepening friendship with the Holy Spirit and have felt his tender affection and mercy. So I'm asking you, my friends, that you be joined together in perfect unity with one heart, one passion, and united in one love. Walk together with one harmonious purpose, and you will fill my heart with unbounded joy. Be free from pride-filled opinions, for they will only harm your cherished unity. Don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts, but in authentic humility put others first and view others as more important than yourselves. Abandon every display of selfishness. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others others instead of your own interests and consider the example that Jesus the anointed one has set before us let his mindset become your motivation Amen. so I want you to know that this is what I mean this is what kuhau means when we say the church is family family is people that are joined together in perfect unity with one heart one passion and united in one love Family is a people who walk together with one harmonious purpose, who are free from pride-filled opinions, who don't allow selfish promotion to hide in their hearts, but in authentic humility, they put others first and view others as more important than themselves. Family is people who abandon every display of selfishness and possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of their own interests. What I love is that Paul inserts in there the how. So how how do I do that like Reuben that's easy to say all right family is that but what what do I do when family starts trifling because I know I'm not my problem people are my problem <laughs> I'm good until people 
Well, it's all made possible because it's predicated on these sandwich statements that Paul has in this section. See, in verse 1, he's acknowledging their union with Jesus. But then in verse 5, as he ends this, this command to them, he's pointing them to the example of Jesus. In verse 1, he says, look at how much encouragement you found in your relationship with the anointed one. That's Jesus. You are filled to overflowing with his comforting love. You have experienced a deepening friendship with the Holy Spirit and felt his tender affection and mercy. What has happened? They are united in Jesus and filled with his overflowing love. So, because of this, in light of this, because you have Jesus within you, I can now ask you to be selfless and walk in unity. So how do I be selfless and walk in unity when I feel selfish, when I feel like turn the other cheek, I'm going to smack their other cheek. How do I do this? Well, I have to step into unity with the anointed one. I have to experience his comforting love. I have to get into a deepened friendship with the Holy Spirit and feel his tender affection and mercy. And then in verse 5, he says, hey, do this, 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 and this, and... Consider the example that Jesus has set before us. Let his mindset become your motivation. So often in life, Reuben's mindset has been his motivation. And let me tell you, family, church family is pretty easy for me. Family, family is not. My mom, I think, made my buttons so she knows all the buttons to push. Ro, Ro is an amazing pastor. He's my pastor, but he's also my brother. Ro, as a brother, we're very different. Love him. Love all my brothers. But we different around each other. Ro, Ro even said it the other day. We're hanging out. He's like, I don't like this Reuben that, that get, when he gets around Fo, our other brother. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's, that's brother Reuben, bro. <laughs> Family knows how to get under your skin. And it's easy for me to come into the Jesus place and put on the motivation of Jesus. But when I get home, I'll be honest, I, I forget. But, but I really believe that the church isn't supposed to be a reflection of our family of origin. And I think that happens sometimes, but I would love to see our family of origin become a reflection of our church. And that's why I love that this church is made up of so many families. Oh, we now have like the Dominic family connection because your nieces are here. Look at that. We got families here. And I love it. Like, la yeah, last baptism was really the Baez baptism part two because we got more Baez's getting baptized. Just keep bringing them. <laughs> would it look like if our families were being transformed and maybe it would change our church? So all of it is made possible. It's all predicated because Jesus is the perfecter of our family tree. I'm just trying to see how much time I have. Right. And if we would allow him to redeem, I, I promise you this, allow him to redeem our, our families of origin. And see how that translates into our, our, real, our, our church family. If we walk around with the mindset of Jesus being our motivation, I, I believe there's power in it. And I'm, I'm cheating because I don't believe it. I, I have a scriptural proof. 
See, I think the power of family is unity. I think unity is our greatest superpower. I do, honestly. Like, yo, we freed Brittany. I thought a conservation was some place for wildlife animals. And then these weird, they were weird, like, like they, you have to be weird. You watch the, the Framing Britney documentary, and they know it sounds weird. Like, yeah, we're just watching her social media posts, and it looks like she's giving us signals. I would have laughed. I'm like, you're, you're bugging. But they were right. And now she's free. And she's talking. We freed Britney through unity, through people who were just united and said, we're going to do this. Like, how much more can we do? Well, Jesus tells us. In Matthew 18, he says, receive this truth. Whatever you forbid on earth will be considered to be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you release on earth will be considered released in heaven. That's the power of one. You, Marlon, have the power to forbid things on earth and they'll be considered forbidden in heaven. You have the power to release things on earth and they'll be considered released in heaven. Zap, you, you can forbid the things on earth and they'll be considered forbidden in heaven. You can release things on earth. They'll be considered released in heaven. You online have the power to forbid things on earth and they will be considered forbidden in heaven and release things on earth and they will be considered released in earth. That's the power of one. But Jesus says, again, I give you an eternal truth. So one's a truth, one's an eternal truth. If two of you agree to ask God for something in a symphony of prayer, my heavenly Father will do it for you. So Marlon's power to release and forbid comes into agreement with Zab's power to release and forbid. And you online come into agreement with the power to release and forbid. And God will do it. You have the... Jumping ahead of myself. He ends and says, I love Jesus. Jesus drops stuff like it's normal. And it's like, no, what? That doesn't make sense. He says, for whenever. So we've gone one... Two, and now it's two or three. One, two, three. Come together in honor of my name. I am right there with them. So if, if Marlon agrees with Zab, and Zab agrees with Marlon, they come into unity on, on what they're forbidding and releasing in heaven. Hey, sickness has no hold here. Amen. Hey, healing is going to take place here. Amen. The God, God will do it. But when two or more are gathered and three come together in unity, in the midst of this is Jesus. How many of us have been wanting Jesus but been running from unity? I know I do it. I know you because I am you. See, the power of unity is the presence of Jesus and the authority of God. And it's no wonder because if you read the creation account carefully, it is a spoiler for the entire Bible. Because God creates Adam and Eve, says it's not good for, two, for a man to be alone. He creates unity. He says be fruitful and multiply, family. And then in that, he says, 
have dominion over the earth. So often in times we think that Jesus came to do something new, but he came to renew and restore God's original intent in the first place. But where is Jesus in the midst of? People united. And it really starts to make sense as to why our society is more than divided than I've ever seen in my life. Like even as I'm getting ready to preach this message, some news broke out that has once again divided our country more than ever. We live in a world that our biases are, listen, we all have biases. You are biased, you, you can't, you, you're biased. I will watch a bad Marvel movie, because I love Marvel. <laughs> Thor 2, all day. If you're putting it up against DC, I'm sorry. We're all biased. That's a silly example, but you, you can't escape biases. At the end of the day, I am a light-skinned Hispanic male who was born in a conservative borough in a greater liberal city with American ideology. The American history that you learn on the Civil, not the Civil War, the, the War for Independence, was that the Revolutionary War? I'm supposed to be a college grad. Um, I didn't major in history. The Revolutionary War, the way we tell it, is very different the way they tell it in Britain. That's, it just makes sense, right? And so I grew up with a view of Britain that's different from the view of British people have of America, all because my mom came to this country when she was 11 and met my dad at 20, 10 years later, Give or take, here I am. That's it. So you can't escape your biases, but the problem is, is that we now live in a world where those biases are preyed on and heightened and enforced through media. And I think we all know this fact, but then we use this fact against other people, not ourselves. But if the power of people is unity, how do you make people powerless? You divide them. Isn't this what you would attack? And I, I don't know who's attacking. Like, I don't know if it's the Illuminati or the enemy. <laughs> it could be big chicken. I don't know. <laughs> Purdue Farms, look into them. They shady. But I do know that our society is more divided than it's ever been. And what I also know is that people feel more powerless than they ever have. We are living in the age of distraction and division. I'm going to read some quotes. Um, one of them is on here. Two of them are not. I threw this in last minute. I happened to be reading this book, and I was like, oh, stealing that. Oliver Berkman in this book says... We are at least dimly aware that our smartphones are tracking our every move, recording how we swipe and click, what we linger on or scroll past, so that the data collected can be used to show us precisely the content most likely to keep us hooked. Which usually means whatever makes us angriest or most horrified. 
All the feuds and fake news and public shamings on social media, therefore, aren't a flaw from the perspective of the platform owners. They're an integral part of the business model. He goes on to say, it influences our sense of what matters, what kinds of threats we face, how venal our political opponents are, and thousands of other things. All these distorted judgments then influence how we allocate our offline time as well. If social media convinces you, for example, that violent crime is far bigger, a far bigger problem in your city than it really is, you might find yourself walking the streets with unwarranted fear, staying home instead of venturing out, and avoiding interactions with strangers, and voting for a demagogue with a tough-on-crime platform. If, you, if all you ever see of your ideological opponents online is their very worst behavior, you are liable to assume that even family members who differ from you politically must be similarly irredeemably bad making relationship with them hard to maintain. And y'all got Thanksgiving coming up. <laughs> what do you think the point of conversation is gonna be? Can you believe that verdict? And there it is. Family members with different opinions are gonna go at it. There's people who won't even have Thanksgiving with their families because they wanna avoid the drama. And so we're divided. Have you ever been here? He says this. This is the last quote from me. He says, long after I closed the app, he's talking about Twitter, I would be panting on the treadmill at the gym or chopping carrots for dinner. And man, if this guy does not read my card, he just, this is me all day. Only to find myself mentally prosecuting a devastating argument against some idiotic holder of wrong opinions that I had the misfortune to encounter online earlier that day. That's just me. Y'all don't get into online I have to take social media breaks. Because if not, it's either that or I have to step down as a pastor real quick. <laughs> Those are my options. He says, I had the misfortune. Well, it wasn't misfortune really, of course, because the algorithm showed me those posts deliberately, having learned what would wind me up. Do you know, you ever like, you ever been like, this is, this is an aside, you ever been like, I was just talking about toothpaste with, and it shows me ads. It's not because they're listening. It's actually worse. They track your location, and they know who Jessica is, and they know that Jessica's phone is often in proximity of Angie's phone. So, around Christmas time, chances are the toothpaste that Angie be looking up, they're going to recommend it to Jessica to be like, hey, maybe you want to buy Angie's toothpaste. It's a lot scarier, yeah, I know. I, I would have preferred they were just listening, but no, they're tracking me, who I might be friends with, who I'm close to, what they like, and then figuring out that, well, if Angie likes it, let's tell Jessica about it. It's not necessarily maybe because they're evil, maybe they're not evil, I don't know. I know they want your money, and there's commodity in your attention. And what gets your attention most are the things that rile you up, and so we are more divided than ever. So I quoted a secular guy a lot of times, I'm a pastor, maybe I should say something about the Bible. What does the Bible say on this? Well, way back in Genesis, there were these two dudes named Cain and Abel. And Cain became furious with Abel. And God said, hey, you're vulnerable because you've divided yourself against your brother. And sin, church doesn't talk about sin enough. I'm going to talk about some sin. 
Sin is now crouching at your door. Why? Because you're furious with Abel. What does sin seek to do? Well, it desires to control you. So if my desires to control you make you powerless, but the thing that makes you powerful is unity, well, isn't it no wonder that we are more divided than ever? The church is supposed to be family, Ruben. Why are you talking about all this? Because I I feel it in my heart that I could preach this message and talk about Jesus is the redeemer of your family tree, the power of coming into agreement, and then we will go home. I know because, again, I I would do it. And I'm going to lock arms with Zab and Emily and Yvette. We're going to come into agreement and release heaven. But I won't with my enemies. But when we say that the church is family, it means your enemies too. It means even the people you have written off, cut off, been betrayed about, have gossiped about you. It means those people too. Because the people you're already in unity with, the church is not clique. The church is family. The church... Even the people you, it's the people that you are not in unity with that the greatest vulnerability for division exists. Me and Zab already know how to disagree and still remain brothers. We've done it. I don't like him when he does it, but we've done it. We're already in unity. I don't need this message for him. I need the message for the people that I've wanted to block and dismiss, the people I've snubbed. That's what I need to hear this message for. Because if our church wants to be a church that is in unity, that Jesus is in the midst of because of unity, unity, that when two come into agreement, that God moves and releases heaven, there is an imperative, there is a need that we will be people who cross over the division. That we are people who say, I'm going to be the bridge. Between whatever your offense is with me, whatever your problem is with me, I'm going to be the bridge. Why? It's all predicated on this. We know Jesus. And I'm going to assume that we know Jesus. If you've known Jesus and if you've placed your faith in Jesus, hey, it's amazing that God's love is flowing through you. So, let's be people who cross over the things that divide us. I want to give you some examples of people who have crossed over the divide and then I'm going to close Worship team, you guys could come and make me sound spiritual. <laughs> I talked about Jacob and Esau. Jacob betrays Esau. Jacob, I'm going to go Old Testament, Gospels, New Testament uh, letters because that is before Jesus, what Jesus makes possible in the church today. Esau wants to kill Jacob. But what is rarely talked about is that years later, after Jacob has his whole family, Jacob is traveling, and he knows that he's going to encounter Esau. He gets word that he's going to encounter Esau, so he sends some people. He says, hey, send some favor to him. Send him some gifts. Send him this, that, and the third. Yvette, can you open this for me? Um, She's going to get a super mansion in heaven now. Um, He sends some people to to, to get favor. (laughs) Thank you, Angie. Um... And because he thinks Esau's still out to kill him, right? And then he finds out Esau's still coming with 400 men. Now I can get deep. And then Esau 
is a way off from Jacob, which I don't know if you've heard about someone being way off from a relative before, but maybe the prodigal son and, and the father. But in that story, the brother was upset that the prodigal son was coming back. But in this story, Jacob begins to bow seven times from a distance from his brother. And his brother sprints towards him. And when he gets to him, it says Esau embraces Jacob, kisses him on the cheek, and they begin to weep. He crossed the divide. Jacob repeatedly calls him master in this exchange. Master, my Lord, sir, master, here, can you keep this stone? And Esau's like, I don't need it. And, and, and Jacob's like, it would please me, master. And Esau says, my brother. In the midst of all of Jacob's regret and sorrow, in the midst of Jacob saying, my, my, my master, master, even having the birthright. And so by this time, Jacob would already be his superior. Jacob is saying, my master. And Esau says, brother. Who has betrayed us? But Esau, even before the revelation of Jesus, was able to see a brother out of an enemy. And then his nephew, Jacob's son, grand, 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 grand nephew. I don't know if you heard of this guy, Jesus. They say this man, Jesus, he died not for his friends. It says anyone could do that. It says even uh, anyone can die for their friend. It's much greater to die for your enemy. Jesus died for the world while we were still enemies. The story of the gospel is that God crossed what divided humanity and God from a relationship with him. And then there's this guy named Ananias. He's just chilling, doing his like following Jesus thing. And then God shows up and says, hey, I need you to go give sight to this man named Paul. And Ananias goes, wait, master, you can't be serious. Everybody's talking about this man and the terrible things he's been doing. His reign of terror against your people in Jerusalem. And now he's shown up here with papers from chief priests that give him a license to do the same to us. But God says, don't argue. Go. I have picked him as my personal representative to non-Jews and kings and Jews. And now I am about to show him what he's in for. Paul recounts this experience in Acts 22. He says, when I met Ananias, and this is the, the picture of who Ananias was, a man with sterling reputation in observing our laws. The Jewish community in Damascus is unanimous on that score. He came up and put his arm on my shoulder. Paul, no doubt, killed some of Ananias' friends. Some of the people Ananias was doing life with and ministry with. And Paul was on his way to that city to kill 
Ananias himself because he was killing anyone who was talking about this Jesus guy. You see Ananias putting his arm on Paul's shoulder and I think so many of us have been stuck at the part where God is saying, hey, stop arguing because I've picked them. We won't cross the divide. But Ananias does, and he says this. He says, look up. I looked and found myself looking. Paul was blinded. Looking right into his eyes. I could see again. And then Ananias said, the God of our ancestors has handpicked you to be briefed on his plan of action. You've actually seen the righteous innocent and heard him speak. You are to be a key witness to everyone you meet of what you've seen and heard. So what are you waiting for? Get up. Get yourself baptized. Scrubbed clean of those sins and personally acquainted with God. What are you waiting for to a man again, who probably killed Ananias' own friends? And so many of us are unable to cross the divide because of gossip that was said about us. Because they weren't there for me. Because they didn't text me. Maybe they actually did do some dirt. Can I tell you what is at stake? Because who Paul is to the faith is every reason that you and I are here today. Paul goes on to pastor churches and stand in defense of Gentile followers of Jesus. That's every single one of us. Unless you have a Stein in your last name, every single one of us is a non-Jew. And Paul fights tooth and nail so that Gentiles, non-Jewish members, cannot be called foreigners any longer, but members of the family of God. But why does Paul do this? Because a man named Ananias crossed the divide. Church, we have to be a people that will cross the lines of things that divide us, that will say, I, I stand firm on this. I, st I refuse, I refuse to be controlled by sin. The sin that seeks to devour me, the sin that wants to make us vulnerable through division and anger. Because Ananias releases on earth Paul's calling and in heaven it's considered done. And Ananias come into agreement. And in the midst of those two or more that are gathered, there is Jesus in the midst. Church, if we can agree on one thing, it's that this world needs Jesus. So it might come at the cost of putting down some opinions in the, in the, in the name of unity. It might be that I come at the cost of letting go of some fights. Because what if, what if your greatest enemy, picture them, I know we all got someone. 
is who God has handpicked to do something amazing in the family of God. God did not handpick Ananias to witness to the Gentiles. He picked Ananias to cross the divide and re reconcile with Paul so that Paul could witness to the Gentiles. And so many of us, man, you have to wonder why you've been in so much conflict with that same person over and over and over for years. Man, could it be that there is an attack because if the two of you were united, heaven on earth would be unleashed. Could it be that the very person you're against is meant to be your greatest ally? if you're wanting to be made if someone is wanting to make you powerless well I gotta make sure Angie and that person never link up because their unity would be too much too much heaven would get out there's so much at stake and I'll leave it here because when we are united next week Pastor George will talk about this church is unstoppable how, how do you stop a group of people where Jesus is in the midst of and God is doing all they ask how do you stop them there, there is an answer you divide them but how do you stop a church that you can't divide how do you stop a people who remain united in everything in disagreement you can't Friends and Family Sunday, this is the thing I've been put in the perfect timing of what's going on in our church. Friends and Family Sunday is, is an opportunity to not just give a ticket to your bestie, but maybe your arch nemesis, your greatest rival, the person who's gossiped you about you the most, run your name through the mud, the, the person who's hurt you the most. The, listen. It's an opportunity to call people in to the family of God. Because the church is family. It's not a clique. It's not a, a carefully selected, curated of group of people whose opinions I like and who, who, who don't disagree with me. The church is a group of people who are united in the name of Jesus. And in the midst of that is Jesus. Can you guys, can you guys stand with me today? Come into agreement with me today? So I believe this worship that's about to happen, we will experience the full totality of God in us and with us. And, and, and I know the charge is difficult. And so what I want you to do is lay that here. Paul says, how do you do this? It's through your unity with Jesus that makes it possible to be united with others. And so I come and I ask you to be united today. If you have someone in mind that you just know, you just know is you're just divided. And maybe it's a, a group of people. Maybe it's, it's, it's something out there in the culture. You got to be united to them. And maybe today you are brand new. And you just want to be in the family of God. You, you want to be with the one who redeems families, who will redeem your life, 
and transform everything in and through you. Maybe you just want to taste and see Jesus and give your life to him today. Maybe that's you. I, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. It, These, these moments can feel so like, I want to give my life to Jesus, but my, my life just needs to be cleaned up, or I just don't know what tomorrow's, I'm going to mess up. The prerequisite for giving your life to Jesus is desiring Jesus in your life. Nothing else. You don't got to clean up your mess. You don't got to get your act together. You, you, you are called to be in the family of God because of the work of what Jesus has done. And if you're gonna be cleaned up and have any chance of, of fixing whatever is holding you back, it's only through Jesus that that's gonna happen in the first place. So it would never be, our, not from our church, that you have to do something to place your faith in Jesus. When I, when I ask this, I'm only saying, would you like to live the rest of your life with him? That's it. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to count to three. Everybody, just if we can close our eyes to give people privacy. And I'm just going to ask you to lift your hands up. One, two, three. If, if that's you and you're, you're wanting to place your faith in Jesus today, I just want you to say this prayer with me. Very simple. Jesus... I give you my life. I place my faith in you today. Thank you for saving me. In your name, amen. Can we give it up for the members of the family of God? Are you guys ready to go in on some worship? Are you ready to bring down the kingdom of God and have Jesus in our midst? I need you to do something for me. I need you to come up as close. We already got people. I need you to come as close as is comfortable. Come on, let's make some noise. Let's get united. I'm going to pray for us and we're going to worship. Lord, I thank you. I love you. And I ask, all I ask is that you give us the strength, Lord. Give us the strength to cross over the divide and the lines that divide us and enable us to be a church that is united and unstoppable. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Once again, we want to thank you for tuning in. Subscribe now and stay connected to all of our latest messages. And if this message really blessed you, pass along the blessing by sharing it with a friend. We pray that you will be given the opportunity to apply this message and we hope that you enjoy the rest of your day. God bless.